welcome to another enlightening episode of the Meditation Conversation, the podcast to support your spiritual revolution. I'm your host, Kara Goodwin, and today's conversation is nothing short of transformative. Joining me is a remarkable soul, a spiritual teacher and healer, none other than Ken Stone. Our conversation today is a tapestry of wisdom woven by Ken's extraordinary journey. He'll take us from his humble beginnings of being told he's a healer before he even knew what that meant, to discovering his extraordinary gifts somewhat spontaneously, to becoming a true beacon of healing. Ken offers profound insights into the ever-evolving landscape of spiritual awareness and consciousness development. So get ready to expand your mind as we navigate through the different stages of enlightenment and understanding. Beyond his personal journey, Ken is a dedicated teacher, offering classes that illuminate the path for others. He shares with us his unique methods, the essence of his teachings, and how you can engage with his transformative wisdom on his website. And one thing I'm excited about more than anything with this episode is for you to just be in Ken's presence and to particularly tune into the quality of his voice. I sensed an energy transmission delivered through his voice, which we talk about in the latter part of the episode. So before we start, I want to encourage you to join the Sedona Ascension Retreat, March 8th through 10th. This retreat features some wonderful guests I've had on the meditation conversation, such as Maureen St. Germain, Michael Jaco, Suzanne Ross, Ruben Langdon, Amanda Romagna, and many, many more. Just imagine yourself in the mystical energies of sacred Sedona, the perfect backdrop for advancing your spiritual journey. Elevate your consciousness, find inner peace, and embrace transformation in the heart of Sedona for a life-changing experience. Spaces are limited and filling fast, so visit SedonaAscensionRetreat.com to secure your spot. Use code MEDITATION for 10% off your ticket. Unleash your highest self in the red rocks of Sedona. And now enjoy this episode. Welcome, Ken. I'm so glad to be with you today. Thanks for being here. It's an honor to be with you, Kara. Thanks for having me on. So let's start by talking a little bit about your journey in, into becoming the sole archaeologist. Sure. Yeah, it's, um, I suppose everyone's journey is this unique process of trying to remember and experience who we really are and, and honor that deeper call in our lives. In my case, I must have been ignoring the call for a while because it didn't show up. At least I wasn't consciously aware of it until I turned 37 in 2007. And I went to a meditation retreat, the first one in residence that I'd ever been to. And I really just felt pulled to be there. It was despite all the details of the retreat, which weren't, didn't feel like they were in alignment with me. I just thought I really need to be at this thing. And you weren't a meditator and yet or anything? I'd learned to meditate in August and this was in September. So, oh, wow. you know, four okay. or six weeks later. Right. I, I thought, I really want to go deeper. It was the same organization, same person that taught me to meditate was doing this in residence retreat. It's with the Art of Living Foundation. Are you familiar with that? That does sound familiar. Okay. Yeah. They, I mean, there are lots of places to learn to meditate. Mm -hmm. And so I flew down to Sedona. I live in Colorado, and I flew down to Arizona and attended this retreat. And basically, from the moment I got there, at least at the onset of the retreat, I was trying to figure out how do I leave? I'm sure I've made really? a mistake, you know? 
<laughs> yeah. I, mean, it was I like, need to be I polite, was surrounded by... but how do I get out of here? <laughs> I, f- I feel called, but I'm terrified as to what's going to happen next. And you know, they, were, they were all very nice. Everyone was wonderful there. I just was having my own sort of inner crisis. Anyway, if you fast forward, there was something that happened on the first day that really settled me in and, and made it so that it was clear I was meant to be there. And then on the last day, someone with whom I had felt an affinity with, but couldn't figure out why. I even tried to talk to him and he said we weren't connected. We didn't know each other. But on the last day, we were nimbly paired up in the closing meditation, the same individual and I. And he, in the middle of the process we were going through, got out a piece of paper and wrote on it, you should be working as a healer. Mm-hmm. And, and I started actually sobbing uncontrollably when I read those words, wow. even though I didn't know what the word healer meant. I had no idea what that meant. So it was really this visceral response that I had to, to that. And, and um, it was in September. And then in, in December, I hired him for an intuitive reading. It was the first time I'd ever done that in my life. And I really wanted to know, is my life going to turn out okay? Because things were falling apart for me at the time. And all he wanted to talk about was healing, healing this, healing that. And I came out of that reading with sort of three, what I heard as directives. You already know what you're doing. You don't need to be trained. Just go do this. And so for whatever reason, I paid attention to that. And um, I think on the 1st of January, maybe a friend had a migraine or something. And I said, oh, let me put my hands on your head and just let's see what happens. And my hands and feet started buzzing when I put my hands on their head. And their headache went away. And I thought, oh, interesting. And then I had many other opportunities to do something like that. Very quickly, it became a remote dynamic. It wasn't hands-on. And really profound, and to me at the time they were disturbing, things would happen. People would be healed spontaneously, but uh, substantial kinds of things. Like a person I'd met on that retreat called me up and said, what's going on? And I said, apparently I'm a healer and blah, blah, blah. And he said, can you find it in your heart to heal me? And he had some pretty um, challenging physical and uh, symptoms that he'd been dealing with. And he was somebody who was very open to Eastern and Western medicine. So he'd already seen the gamut of experts all across the sort of full range of what's available to us. And nothing had helped. Nothing had figured out what the issue was nor resolved it. And I did a session with him, and it was remote. He lives in another part of the country, and we weren't even on the phone. We just, he just said, you know, I'm going to go meditate next to my lake, and you do whatever you're going to do. And when we finally spoke a couple of weeks after I, I did this with him, he was almost incapable of communicating about it because it had such a huge impact on him. His symptoms had cleared within 24 hours, but then there were all these other things that had happened for him as well. His relationship with his wife had come into a deep state of alignment and on on and on. The food he was eating changed spontaneously. What he was putting in his, you know, drinking and on just, I mean, there was just, and for me, it was completely overwhelming. It was like being hit by a two by four or something. It was, I realized there are lots of people who really are interested in the healing arts and in spirituality. And I was never interested in healing, not consciously and spirituality was very much a private exploration for me. It wasn't something that I ever imagined talking about with someone, much less making my living with spirituality. And so so it really 
caused me to stop and realize this is something to to very to take very seriously and to stop thinking of it as you know some crazy thing that some guy said at a retreat and instead just become more fully present to whatever it was that was that I was being invited to explore so that was the beginning that's incredible so it's fascinating that you instinctually or intuitively knew right away that it wasn't something that you necessarily needed to get training on. So have you worked with, and not even necessarily in this physical plane, but are do you have some guidance of, of how you've developed that you're interested in sharing? Sure, yeah. I'm happy to talk about anything. Just to be clear, it wasn't so much an intuitive guidance thing. It was this gentleman that I hired to do a reading oh, in right. trance said oh, these things. Oh, yeah. I mean, to be Sorry. clear, I went back. No, no, I just I, I think the whole idea of developing one's intuitive awareness and so on has certainly been part of my process. But to claim that I had that kind of awareness at that time, I think would be a distortion at a minimum. So, Thanks for keeping me honest. <laughs> no, it's all good. I just, my unintegrated self would like to project all sorts of magisterial things <laughs> yeah. and so on. But my integrated self is saying, no, come on, let's keep it real here. <laughs> and to be clear, on an even deeper level, like I went back and at the end of, that was the transition into 2011. At the end of 2012, so about two years after that reading, I, and in the meantime, I'd been almost homeless and really been through a pretty um, rigorous process. And I went back and listened to the recording and he didn't say, don't get trained and you know what you're doing. Really? So I just heard what I needed to hear. You know, it's like God is there translating for each of us what we need to hear. But anyway, to your question, for sure, there's been enormous guidance along the way. And one, one of the other things that Lynn said to me after he wrote it on paper, after we came out of silence was, oh, you're going to discover this is more natural than breathing for you. And you've done this in many prior lifetimes, both statements of which caused me to think, is there a psych ward nearby for you? Because I, I, they just sounded so crazy to me. And But again, I didn't disengage with him. I cried when he said that. And it was more just like this cynical inner voice. Like, what? what is this? And to be clear, when I put my hands on this person's head on the 1st of January or did this session that I've just described with this gentleman, or really any of the other sessions that I continue to do in my private practice, you know, day in, day out, I don't really... I don't feel like I'm causing anything to happen. I don't feel like, I just feel like it just happens. I don't think I'm the originating point for whatever it is that's happening. I feel like one way to say it is divinity in me is enlivening divinity in the individual or group that I'm with. And, but along the way, yeah, there have been all sorts of downloads and practices that I feel like I'm, I've been given to be the steward of and so on and so forth. And and those things have come in. I mean, wouldn't it be great if we could just say, hey, I'm ready for a download and it would come? <laughs> it's right. not been my experience, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, probably the first major download was for about two and a half years, I went through a process of, okay, so these things happen, but still I feel like, what is this? Like, am I a fraud? Is this real? Is this something that's predictable? And and people would do sessions with me and um, and it was all on referral. My social media was anonymous. At the time, if you found me on social media, it, you didn't know who I was on Twitter and so on. My, I even had a website. You couldn't figure out who I was. There was no contact information. I hid that I had registered the domain. I did the opposite of what most people do when they think they want to explore something. 
And the reason I did that is because it was such an overwhelming experience for me. And I wanted to be able to share about it, but I didn't want it to be something that it wasn't so much that initially I didn't want to own that it was something happening through me, but I wanted to be free. I wanted to be totally liberated of the pretense of there being purpose for what I was communicating. I just wanted it to be open and raw. And I found I could do that from a place of anonymity. And so anyway, after a while, people started asking me, how, how can I have this experience? How can I replicate this for myself? And so I started saying, all right, God, give me something to teach. Because at that point, I had no language whatsoever for what was happening. And, and um, maybe I started asking that in June or something of that year. I think it was 2010. And by September of 2010, I was like, all right, God, you know, it's time. And I remember I was in a session with a client and the session had absolutely nothing to do with the download and poop, the download came in. And the download was what I had been saying. Can I have a process to teach or something, you know, a process to teach for people around health and relationship with divinity and money and um, relationships with romantic relationships or whatever, kind of the big five, the things that, that most human beings are one or two of those things or tend to light people up. And what I got was this download of here is the mechanism for how this all works energetically and spiritually, but it was so simple. I mean, I was expecting, you know, something that was lots of moving. Peace? Say again? Is that related to the soul soul archaeology or is it separate? It's so funny. This was a download that happened before that. A friend actually gave me that name. She said to me, tell me about what you do. And I was like, come on, you know what I did. We've done this a ton. And she's like, I know, I know, but just start talking. And I said, oh, I help people uncover a buried treasure of divine presence that's already inside everyone. And she said, you're the soul archaeologist. So that's where that that came Ah, from. Gotcha. But the download, I called it Beneath the Sand, still call it Beneath the Sand, because it was showing me the illusion of separation as grains of sand and a light that shines through a portal. And the portal has a, an interchangeable nameplate on it, right? Mine says Ken, yours says Kara in this lifetime, but maybe we've had other names in other lifetimes. And the light that I saw was just this brilliant, blinding light. And there was no distortion, no disruption at all. It passed through the portal. And that was another thing that's sort of fascinating. Divinity is below us. What? You know, there's always this idea of divinity above. But no, in this download, it was below. And as it comes through this portal, it encounters after a while, there's clear space and then there are these grains of sand and it casts these shadows up on these screens that were stacked up, not like a movie screen like this, but, you know, set horizontally at different angles. And some of them had labels like the physical body, the mind, and so on, but many of them weren't even labeled. And I could see that some of the shadows went to some of the screens, some hit all the screens, some hit none of the screens, and went all the way up into the sort of this concave surface up at the top. That's It looked a little bit, I've never seen it in person, but like the Sistine Chapel, that's what it reminded me of. And in this download, there was somebody actually on their back on scaffolding painting on the and I thought, oh, that must be the outward expression of our lives. And there's somebody creating something. And they're painting. They think it's red paint. But what they keep painting shows up as green or brown or something. And so what I saw was, oh, there's this little grain of sand that catches light. And it's casting a green shadow up there. And I don't know. Let's say green and red make brown. I don't know. It's colors <laughs> and visuals. not. But that's the mechanism. So anyway, there's much more to the download. But Perhaps you had this experience. The download was just 
instantaneous. Mm -hmm. And my response to it was, that's it? Like, isn't there more to it than that? And But what it became clear was that, that as human beings, we can have an experience beneath the sand of our wholeness. And it's not really predicated on anything. It's not about trying to think our way there or anything like that. And so when that download came in 2010, I thought, oh my gosh, I need to go explore this with people and immediately began exploring it. And that's how a lot of things have happened to me over the years is sometimes I'm asking for it. Sometimes I'm not. An awareness comes in. Maybe it's a practice. Maybe it's just awareness. And, and then I start exploring it within myself and within those that I'm with whom I'm working or teaching classes I'm doing and those kinds of things. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. And from my perspective, I have I do have experiences that kind of complement what you're saying. I yeah. wonder about like when you talk about the divinity coming from below. Yeah. I know that I've experienced something different, but it's more like I'm perceiving it that way. Well, a lot of mine I'm laying down when it happens because mm-hmm. it's before I fall asleep. It's in that hypnagogic mm-hmm. state. But because it's coming from within me and projecting out, it feels like that. So it's like, oh, it's not coming from above. It's coming from below. But I wonder if you had a similar sense of like, it's actually within coming out. And then that's where it, you know, and then it's like, it's this whole projection. I mean, when you talk about the screens, I've seen different screen metaphor type of thing and something like a controller like I've called it a controller you talk about it like the person who's painting on the scaffolding mine's almost like the this being like almost behind the curtain and it's to do with my spine and I haven't quite been able to like meet that person or see it like proper it's almost like I just know that there is some being doing some sort of controlling there, but it reminds me of like the man behind the curtain in the Wizard of Oz, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but so it's really, really fascinating. I love that so much. And I love how you talk about those screens being like different facets or aspects of how we relate to ourselves or we relate to the outer world, but like the physical body, the emotional body. I mean, it makes so much sense. That's beautiful. I mean, it is beautiful and and it's so interesting because even as we're sitting here and I find, and I wonder if you have this experience as well, it's like the download just keeps informing, you know? And so I'm even having this experience of that in conversation with you, in your reflections of your experience, uh, what sounds like a very similar kind of dynamic. And, And there are all these other things that have come in or that I've noticed in the years since. And so it's almost like for me, they knit together to to represent this tapestry of of consciousness. And then it starts painting. I don't know if it's really, it's not so much a roadmap or a blueprint as much as it is a structure to understand, maybe even on a temporary basis, because I find structure becomes a very limiting dynamic with deeper intimacy as we move into kind of the mystical dynamic and directly encounter divinity structure, at least in my perception, my experience, becomes limiting in that dynamic. So it's almost like these things have been almost temporary structures or aspects of the tapestry that fade away once they're engaged with or depending on the depth of intimacy. And it's so interesting that you say the controller. I So one of the things I perceived over the years, and I can't really point to a specific download as much as just 
awareness over time that just keeps growing is really five distinct stages of consciousness. And we're born, I think of it as stage zero. It's like God consciousness, but it's not embodied or integrated. But children have just such amazing awareness. So they're remembering things, they see things. And then we have this experience of a fall from grace or something. It's described in the Bible, of course, and, and I think in all great spiritual works. But this fall from grace into kind of a disempowered and unintegrated experience. And then we, some people, it's not necessarily the case that everyone, but some people transition into stage two, which I perceive as an empowered and unintegrated stage. And I used to refer to it as controlling consciousness, mm-hmm. right? So, so it's that consciousness where, where we think, hey, if it's going to happen in my life, it's up to me to make that happen. And it's, I see these as developmental, not actually evolutionary. I know that maybe cuts against the grain, but to me, it's almost like a baby that is sitting and then learning to crawl and standing and walking and running. And that's not even the best example because it would be, and there might be a tendency, certainly I have this tendency to think it's better to walk than to sit and it's better to run than walk. But actually, in consciousness, none of these stages are lesser than any of the others. They each have a profound gift within them. And we can only receive that gift if we immerse ourselves in the consciousness and then integrate it. And in any case, and so there's a glass ceiling in each stage and so on and so forth. But the point I'm trying to make is in this controlling consciousness, there is this really powerful sense of I can be controlling. I can make these things happen. And of course, developmentally, that's essential We to be in the empowered experience. And then I've discovered as we come into the glass ceiling of that, we get to open to stage three, which I think of as whole and unintegrated. And there's this really profound invitation to surrender there, to open to something that is greater than us and to integrate that empowered perspective rather than have it be unintegrated. And I would say that's sort of anchor back to the first question you asked. That's really my journey from that initial experience in fall of 2009, even through to today. I surrendered in the first, at the end of June of 2011 in a really meaningful way. But of course, surrender isn't a one and done. It's an ongoing practice. It's an invitation. It's a pathway for integration. It's so much. Anyway. I'm just appreciating the synchronicities, the alignment and the resonance here with you. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about those the glass ceiling. And I really appreciate that view of what I shared because when I say controller, it was like a somebody who was responsible f- for the perception. Really? And so it wasn't so much like a controlling aspect, which I can have parts of my personality that are more go it controller kind of thing. But this almost sure. seemed, of course, it was a part of me because it's an inner experience, but right. it was like this, this not like controlling and like you're going to do, but more like I'm responsible for you experiencing what you're calling in or like what for the reflection to I'm going to almost like the dream maker, you know, if we might think of a dream maker. But right. the living reality maker or something, but right. but that's intimately tied to what's going on inside. Okay, right. this is right. what's happening inside. So this is what's going to happen out here type of thing. Fascinating. That's so interesting. Yeah. And a lot of that yeah. part, again, is like more my understanding or my conjecture because I, right. like, I couldn't interact with it. It was just this like sense that there was this 
Yeah. Part that was not, I wasn't time yet to understand it or to meet it or whatever. Sure. But anyway. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, so can you tell us, I understand there's a 97% glass ceiling. I, I want to dig <laughs> into this. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because in my perception, it relates to exactly what we're talking about. So in that disempowered and unintegrated experience is universal. Everyone's had it. And if anyone is listening to our conversation and thinking, what is that for me? Just think of an experience when you were a kid where you felt victimized. And boom, there's, there is that. And in the lens of that, and to be clear, my, my understanding, my experience of the word consciousness, what I mean is the lens through which we experience and interpret ourselves in the world. And rather than the consciousness, I think there are these developmental stages which are lead us to the consciousness, the integrated experience. Okay, so anyway, disempowered, then there's empowered. And empowered will get you very, very far in life. Empowered is, I mean, if just if you want to think of it in a really simple way, law of attraction is a wonderful way of distilling down sort of the essence of stage two consciousness. I'm attracting the thing that I am emanating, right? That I'm holding in my awareness and so on. And um, another distillation of that would be, if it's going to be, it's up to me to create this. Mm. And- so in that empowered dynamic, there are a few really fascinating things that get realized early on or as we develop in this space. One is that this is all happening in the interior, right? The exterior is at play and trying to be worked through in stage one. There's all this stuff out here. These people have power. I don't have power. These circumstances have power over me, et cetera. Maybe that's not the language, but that's basically the experience. And in two, it's I'm doing this on the interior. The language of co-creation often is talking about this as well. And so if we think about people who are luminaries in their vertical, an athlete who is the number one ranked golfer, a basketball player who is the top of their draft, et cetera. And it, it could be in business. It doesn't have to be in sport in any area. Someone who has achieved extraordinary success, however we want to measure that, likely has mastered and run into this glass ceiling of two, this 97%. And what ends up happening is that in two, because it's unintegrated, we think, if I get this, then this will be true, or then this will happen. It's an if-then dynamic. If I am the number one ranked, whatever, if I achieve, if I make my hundreds of millions or billions of dollars if I have whatever, right? If I have these experiences, then I will be. And what's really going on under that is an attempt, in my view, to resolve what I think of as the core wound. And the core, I think the core wound is probably universal, but whatever, like we all have to figure that out for ourselves. And talking about it except to identify it probably isn't that meaningful because we all have to figure that out for ourselves. And it's not even obvious that the core wound's at play until much later, until we're really close to that glass ceiling. Because then we start having these experiences like, huh, I thought if I was a New York Times bestselling author, or if I was the top ranked whatever, then I would feel. And often the feeling that isn't articulated until the glass ceiling, that isn't um, consciously aware is, I would be fulfilled. 
I would feel a sustaining experience of peace. I would feel unconditional love. I would feel worthy, right? There are lots of descriptions of it. And the other challenge in this glass ceiling is that everything that got us to the glass ceiling that created the success doesn't bust us through the glass ceiling. So if we double down and we go back and say, here's what I did to create the success, I'm going to use that to bust through. What ends up happening is the, and I hesitate to call it a nightmare, but let's just call it noise. The noise that is around that glass ceiling, the thing that we can't get beyond that's holding us back, it actually gets louder. The glass ceiling gets thicker. It's more pervasive. And so it can be a very, very frustrating dynamic. And, but the thing is, it's just a developmental transition. It's just a transition in consciousness. And so I end up working with a lot of people who are in that transition or approaching that transition. And one of the things that's so fascinating is that the things that I'm telling them that I'm talking about, like, here's how we're going to go through this, this class ceiling, they sound so contradictory. They're oh, almost really? exactly the opposite of what we think we need to do to get through the glass ceiling. But here's that we've seen this already in our developmental journey, right? Because what do we have to do to transi transition from a disempowered stage one experience to an empowered stage two experience? We have to take responsibility. We have to say to ourselves, I am creating everything I'm experiencing. And that is absolutely 180 degrees from the experience of the disempowered dynamic, right? Correct. So we've already been through that profound transition. And this next transition is equally profound. So anyway, I could talk for this about this forever. I should wow. stop and see where you're at with what, we're, well, what I'm excitedly sharing with you. Yeah, it's fascinating. <laughs> so are there three stages? So there's the disempower, empower, and then you break yeah. through that glass ceiling. Yeah. And then you come into an experience of wholeness, wholeness. but okay. it's still unintegrated, right? Okay. So that's stage three. And then there's stage four which is an integrated experience of the prior three. This is another myth that exists, right? People in stage two tend to think, or I did in stage two, I can say that easily, whether anyone else does, I see it in students all the time, but let's just talk about me. In stage two, for me, I had this idea that my life was going to be perfect when I fully integrated. I had this idea that the challenges of life, that the things that are... Um, that caused suffering in my life or pain, or I looked out in the world and saw this and this, that those things would just magically disappear. The way that I um, think of it when I'm trying to be a smart aleck is it's like cotton candy and cars fall out of the sky and, and mansions and boats and whatever, whatever the things are that, that each of us want to have um, or experience in, in this sort of empowered dynamic. But the thing is that the very act of taking responsibility the glass ceiling comes from effectively holding up a stop sign to divinity and saying, I've got this. I've got this. I've got this. And the paradox is we get 97% of the way there. So we might well be the number one ranked this and that, the top CEO, the most successful entrepreneur, the top podcast, the blah, 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 whatever it is, whatever all those accolades are that we're chasing. But that last 3%, we can never, ever experience because it's a unintegrated experience. We think we have to create it, in other words. Mm -hmm. And so the work into four, or excuse me, into three, the transition into three 
is about letting go of control. It's about surrendering to divinity, which is pretty hard to do if you think you're creating your entire reality. But we've already had that experience of, hey, I'm responsible for everything I'm experiencing, right? So we're prepared at some basic level. Mm-hmm. And you have to bash your head against that glass ceiling quite a bit before you're willing to be open to the idea that letting go of control is actually the pathway through it. Yeah. If you haven't bashed your head enough, you're looking for what's the next person that's got an idea for how I can make this happen and turn this into a fulfilling dynamic and so on. But the thing is, when it's unintegrated, this the experience of resonance, whatever, however we interpret that. So that might mean fulfillment or peace or love or lots of different things, right, for different people. It never sustains. But once it's integrated, it sustains. So are all of, are, okay, so there are four levels or is there a fifth? Okay, four. Well, there's a fifth that we're born into, but oh, okay. I just call it stage zero because, okay. you know, basically okay. anyone I'm working with is not a toddler, right? Okay. They're all adults, right? Yeah. And probably been around for a while. So, so. I, I'm trying to remember if you even said there are five stages. I had it in my head there were yeah. five and I'm like, yeah, there okay, are. There are yeah, okay. I think there are at least. Yeah. Okay. So all yeah. of those um, that you took us through are working with the model of what we want as individuals with a certain level of ego. So there, I feel that there is a graduation at some point where it's like, and you talk about this with surrender, but where it's, yeah. okay, what do you, divinity, want from me? How can I serve? So yes. where is that in in? The model. That is right with surrender, right? Mm. Because the question is, if I'm holding my stop sign up to God, divinity, source, whatever, the universe, and I'm saying, I got this, right? Then divine will, if we really want to ratchet up the and push some buttons here, right? Divine will doesn't have a chance to express. Mm. And if we surrender, when we surrender, it's not really a question of if, because after your last breath, you're going to surrender, right? Because the unintegrated self has no choice at that point. It is not, in fact, separate. The reality is we are all fully integrated, whether we realize or experience that or not. So when we surrender, it is the empowered and unintegrated self that surrenders. It subordinates itself to divinity. It says, okay, you've got some plan for me, and maybe it's different than what my plan is. Maybe it's totally different. And when I let go of control, now you get to express however you will. And that is a profound journey, as it sounds like you've been on. If you're asking me questions, you are. That's beautiful. And it is such a a continuous process, right? Because I think you made this point at some point, but where it's like, we may feel like maybe we feel we've, oh, we arrived at stage three or whatever it is. Right. Yeah, I did it. So especially if we are coming at it from a like, oh, how do I get to this final? I can't quite get to the last 3%. Right. And then it's like, oh, I figured it out. And it's such a process, a continuous right. renewal, right? Because it can yeah. be like, oh, now I know I need to I need to take this path and the path is straight and it's don't go off to that left fear, you know, don't get distracted by that. And, and then Suddenly, it may be we get a few months down the road and, oh, you are supposed to turn right. You know, it's like right. you may get that guidance at some point and be like, I right. really know where, what I'm supposed to do now. And that might only be a, yeah, do that for five years or something. Then sure. the sure. next right thing is going to show up for you with the skills that you develop with that or the connections that you make or 
you know, whatever your unique journey is. It's a great way to say it. You know, the, I think the reason why the word resonance resonates with me so much is that it both describes the experience of the life that I've lived, but it also to me is such a, um, it's a saturated visceral experience for me, the resonance of embodied divine presence. And for me, it's maybe the metaphor might be a current in the ocean rather than a path. And the thing about the current in the ocean is it moves us wherever it moves us. And we know we're in that current because we can feel it. We have an experience of it. Our entire bodies are aware when we're in the current or when we're out of it or when we're slightly out of it, we can feel that. And it's the same in my view, certainly in my experience, in walking or swimming or being in resonance with divine presence in my life. So for me, the qualifier is just, am I in an experience of sustaining resonance? And uh, that is the being experience of life. And, um, and all these other things are sort of window dressing to support us, in my view, to support us in integrating in our journey of integration, of spiritual integration. And yeah, that's some of that in, in the early years, let's say, or decades is about the mind, the body, and the soul the spirit or however you want to refer to it. But ultimately, it seems to me a huge part of spiritual integration is what is unintegrated, which is still the whole self. It's just not integrated yet. We could call it the separate self. We could call it the shadow. Lots of different names for it. And the whole self, which has actually been integrated. It's embodied and integrated. And so that journey of integrating that, which is not yet integrated, is really powerfully supported in this journey that we're all on as human beings. And when we integrate, it's the experience, the sustaining experience of resonance that, at least for me, not just guides, but affirms, opens the experience of the infinite presence of divinity, but also in, through, and as everyone and everything. It's not other than that now we're opening into that stage four experience. But it's not really about, is this integrated or not integrated? It's just, I'm just breathing. I'm just being. And in each holy and sacred moment, I'm coming to a deeper experience of who I really am and therefore who everyone is and what everything is. And as that embodies and integrates, it expands. It grows often in ways that are impossible to imagine or conceive of ahead of time, to your point. It's just unfolding. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. So how do you work with people, Ken? It sounds like you have students who you're helping to understand things, um, integrate, and then are you still doing healing work as well? And is that virtual? Tell us about how people can work with you. Yeah. So I teach, I do classes, I facilitate virtual retreats. I haven't done an in-person retreat in a number of years. It's more about the logistics for me. It's just easier to do virtual retreats, but I'm sure I'll do in person again. And, um, and, and there are a lot of self-study programs and so on that I have available through my online learning institute. And in, in those experiences, it's everything from let's open up to an experience of divinity within to all the way into what are my unique gifts and stepping into one's role as a spiritual messenger in the world and so on and so forth. None of it is prescriptive, though. It's always experiential when people are working with me in a class dynamic. 
So there could be ideas that I'm sharing, but there, I've always developed those ideas or come to language after the experience. So it's almost like the words are pointing to something, but then we're opening to the experience, which is something that happens. Which is you know, so sort of spontaneously. Funny because several times when you've been speaking, I'm like, yeah. there's stuff in his voice. Like there are yeah. things, and I'm like, yeah. it doesn't matter what you're saying. <laughs> Yeah, and, and like I wonder how much he knows. <laughs> I'm sure oh, yeah, you know no, I'm, it. I'm aware. But it's yeah, like I'm aware. Hopefully for the yeah. listeners, I'm sure they're yeah. noticing a uniqueness with your voice. But it's like, whoa! I yeah. mean, there were times even when you were speaking where I'm like, stay, because it, <laughs> it 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 brings it like locks. It has the potential to lock people into the present moment. Yeah, which yeah. can mean that the words that are kind of fillers for the experience and the energy like I just when you were talking actually right before I asked that question I was doing that I'm like you've got to get out of, like almost get out of the present <laughs> moment so that you yeah, can yeah. like really lock yeah. into what he's saying yeah. because you have to ask yeah, him yeah. the next question yeah 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 yeah. but I it was it. so much <laughs> like totally get it. present yeah. moment present moment present moment yeah, um, yeah. so anyway uh. So, yeah, so you read the phone book to people and then they just <laughs> exactly. they just absorb the energy. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. You know, it's hilarious because like in my private practice, I work with you know, people who are sort of, well, they're all of them in one way or another are running into that that 97% glass ceiling. So, you know, it, the role they play in the world isn't really the determining factor for me as to whether or not we're a good fit. Of course, they need to figure out if I'm a good fit for them too, right? We both yeah. have to do that. My, in my private practice, much of the work is in absolute silence. Mm. And if we're talking, it's more the person that I'm working with is giving voice to whatever it is they're giving voice to. But it's exactly what you were just talking about in reverse. So our minds, our feelings, our emotions think, I need to emote, I need to get to this. But actually, as we let those things out, we allow ourselves, if we don't identify with them, to feel them fully. And one of the things that just happens when people are with me is there's this profound soul embodiment going on. And so then those things start transmuting. Mm -hmm. Just They just burn up. So people can talk for 20 minutes and they might be thinking, what am I even saying? I'm just, blah, 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 you know, there's, blah, blah, blah. and, and they're like, do you understand what I'm saying? I'm like, yes, I feel it. I see it. I can tell it makes perfect sense to me. And then they'll spontaneously stop talking and then we'll be in absolute silence. Mm. And you asked if I work virtually. Yes. I rarely work in person with people. Very, very rarely. Most mm. of everything I do is virtual. I never work with a camera on when I'm working individually with people. And often I don't even work over the phone with people because it's not like they might go into a very deep, profound space in their own environment and they don't need to have a phone or an earpiece or a speakerphone on for us to be doing some really profound work together. So you're so. not even connected through through Zoom or anything. It's just like a specified time. Yeah, we might text or we might be on the phone at the beginning mm -hmm. and then hang up. And, and there are plenty of other people that I'm on the phone with the entire time. And uh, here's a fascinating thing. Those calls, some of them want to be recorded, so they're recorded. So they have, let's say, 60 or 90 minutes of silence, except for a few words. And then they can listen to that transmission and have a new experience every time they listen to the recording. And there's all sorts of stuff that's going on that I suppose... 
if I were really motivated, I could try to develop a scientific understanding of it. But I'm so in the experience of what's unfolding, and as are the people I'm working with, whether it's a group or a class or a one-on-one, it's really, it's unbelievable. I mean, I used to be in financial services as a mortgage lender, and now I do this. And I just think, what lottery did I win to be able to sit in this kind of sacred space with people? from every background all over the world. It doesn't, it's like all the things that we think are important. Can we even speak the same language? It's totally irrelevant. We can sink into this experience of, and it's a very private, intimate experience for each person. I'll I'll work with a group virtually. You know, there might be thousands of people on the line or 10 or 20 or 50 or whatever. And if, if we open up the line or they email me, I'll get five, 10, a thousand different emails And those emails will reflect on the exact same experience and each of them have their own unique thing. And if they're referring to what I'm talking about, they all hear something different. They hear something totally different. And Uh, I'm initially, I read those things and I thought, what the heck is going on? Then I'm like, listen, this isn't you, Ken, anyway. This is God. This is divinity flowing, enlivening in people. They get exactly what they need. And so it's like, I'm off the hook. I don't even have to pretend that I understand it Mm -hmm. or know what someone needs. We don't really need anything. We just are, it's like we're seeking something that's already there. And when we sit together, it's enlivened. Yeah. when you have an experience of that, language just fades away, but things change profoundly in, in life. Yeah. Wow. That's so beautiful. And so you're working with people, body, mind, and soul. You do physical healings and Yeah. Most people that have come to me over the years, I did a lot of physical healing stuff early on. Mm -hmm. Most people now in my private practice, most people come because they're either a friend said, look, this guy's too weird for words. You got to call him up (laughs) or whatever. Maybe they got guided to see me or whatever. But one, and so maybe there's a challenge that they're trying to overcome, right? The glass ceiling and so on. But they never stay with me because of that. It's they we work together some in some cases. I have clients I've worked with for more than 10 years now and on a regular basis. And I my perception is it's because they're it's like a this big elastic experience that just keeps expanding. Like they just keep dipping themselves deeper into the and marinating in the experience of divine presence. And for them, it becomes one of the most meaningful things about their life, because once you realize that everything originates from that space, Mm -hmm. then, you know, that becomes maybe the most important aspect of life. It doesn't mean relationships aren't important or the way we interact in the world. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there's this incredible alignment that takes place at a depth that for many people is new and it just keeps expanding. And that works great for me because I love, it's like, I love the opportunity to walk with somebody over, over their journey. You know, if my practice were one-off sessions, I would find it, it would be challenging for me. And, but as it turns out, the way each of us are made is perfectly set up to be who we're meant to be in the world. You know, the things that when I was young, I thought were quirks or things I was embarrassed about now, I realize are just part of the beauty of divinity as me, as it is with each human being. And we just get to embrace that and step further and further into that mystery and live it in our lives. I love it. And so how can people find you? I don't know that you talked about that, did you? 
I probably have it. Yeah, you're okay. like, what, what have you said, Ken? Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> the best way is to come to my website, which is KenWStone.com, K-E-N-W-S-T-O-N-E.com. And, you know, there's a free class that I taught called Exploring Divine Resonance. It's a 17-week program. It's a deep dive, and it's free. You know, so people just put their name and email address in. They'll get a login to my online learning platform, the Resonance Institute, and they can, there are teachings in there, there are transmissions, there's Q&A. You can ask questions of me there and I'll respond to them in writing on the platform personally. And that's a great place to dip one's toe if one's feeling resonance with any of whatever's unfolding in our time together here. Beautiful. Well, Ken, this has been a blast. Thank you so much. I've really, really loved connecting with you today. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on. It's been a blast every moment of it. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'd love to ask you for one quick favor, and that's to share this episode with one person who you think will benefit from it. Let them know you're thinking about them by sharing this episode with them right now. Thank you, and I look forward to the next meditation conversation.